A very good morning to you on this, the 14th of January. Welcome to Bankford Christian Fellowship Church and welcome to our service this morning. Good morning. It's, uh, it's a pleasure for me to add to Nigel's welcome and to welcome you to Bankery Christian Fellowship Church. My name is Duncan and I serve as pastor here and it's the great privilege of the role to come and open God's Word week by week and let me encourage you to turn to your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. The verses we're going to be looking at are printed inside the diary that hopefully you received on the way in, so you can follow along there. Um, Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're reading from verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Amen. This is God's Word. I want to first of all introduce you to some people. The first one is Stephen. Ever since Stephen became a Christian, it's become more and more apparent that he stands out like a sore thumb. His friends are very disappointed with him. He no longer goes to their drinking parties, and he's really done with pursuing girls just to try and get them to sleep with him. Stephen's friends cannot for the life of them understand why he's so boring now, and now he feels all alone. Those friends have gone. And then there's Iris. Iris is lovely. She recently became a Christian. There's some things about life that she's finding very hard. You see, she has such joy in knowing and following Jesus, but it's a joy that isn't shared by her husband. In fact, he cannot understand her faith at all. He doesn't like her spending so much time with her church family, and he keeps speaking about it as if it's a phase that one day she'll snap out of. She wishes he would become a Christian, but it feels like the more she mentions it, the more she feels like she pushes him away, and it grieves her every day. And last of all, there's Alexander. Alexander's boss is making his life a misery. He is spoken to harshly every day, and he's always blamed for something. If some work is not done, or if something goes missing, then you can be sure it's Alexander who'll get the blame. Alexander is a Christian, and the way he's treated at work is unfair, and he's wondering just how much more of this he can take. His life feels like it is uncomfortable all the time. Maybe you could relate to some of those stories. These are typical stories of Christians living in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These are places all in modern-day Turkey. These are typical stories of Christians living in those places almost 2,000 years ago. 
That's when the Apostle Peter wrote this book of the Bible. It's a letter that is written to the Stephens, to the Irises, to the Alexanders. It's a letter for people who followed Jesus and found that it actually made life hard. People who repeatedly, because they followed Jesus, found themselves out of place in their world. Their way of understanding the world was not only rejected by most of their friends and often their family too, but more than that was regarded as actually that's an evil way to view the world. And I suppose when we hear those stories and we hear it put in those kind of terms, then we find that Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia in the first century is not so different to Scotland in the 21st century. And it's my prayer that over these next few months, as we, with God's help, work our way through all of this letter, we'll find that it speaks powerfully and practically into our circumstances, just as it did for Peter's readers nearly 2,000 years ago. Today we cover just the first two verses as we introduce the letter, and we're deliberately starting slow today because in these opening verses you really have the foundation that Peter will keep on building upon throughout this whole letter Peter will help these Christians understand who they are, and he'll help them understand who they are in relation to the world around them, but crucially, understand who they are in relation to God. He shows us that Christians are rejected by the world, but chosen by God. Now, in the UK, we have the great privilege of having a long history but sometimes it throws up unusual things. And one of the things it throws up is unusual job titles that people still have today that don't make any sense unless you know something of the long history. So I don't know if you know this. There is someone who is a member of the cabinet in Westminster who has the job with the title Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster. You ever heard of that? You know, when the Prime Minister does a little reshuffle, and they'll just say it on the news as if, as if everybody knows what they're talking about. Oh, and the new Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster is uh, Oliver Dowden. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. The job title actually has no real relationship to what that person's job is anymore. To understand where a job title like that comes from, you have to go all the way back to the 14th century when Henry IV became king, who had this estate in Lancaster that someone needed to have the job of looking after. Well, that's pretty boring, isn't it? The rest of the sermon is more interesting. <laughs> but I give that example because actually what Peter does in the opening of this letter is he gives these Christians a title. And it's one that we will only really understand the weight of if we've got a bit of a grasp of the history of God's people, God's ancient people, Israel. He calls them, in verse 1, elect exiles of the dispersion. Elect exiles 
of the dispersion. He calls them exiles or strangers, some Bible translations have. That word exiles has a strong link back into the history of God's ancient people. It tells of the time when Israel, having turned away from God, they were conquered and their people were deported from their homeland into Babylon. And it included the likes of Daniel. And they were there for 70 years. They were in a foreign land under a foreign ruler, yearning for the day to come when God would bring them back home. And in fact, if you were to turn to the very end of the letter, Peter says in verse 13 that he is writing the letter from Babylon. And he almost certainly means the city of Rome. But again, the language that he's using is this language of exile. He sees himself as an exile as well. They are exiles of the dispersion, which is another word that has strong connotations of Israel's history. It was the word that was used to describe Jews who lived outside the homeland, the diaspora, you may have heard. And Peter sees that this is what it means to be part of the people of God. This is what he understands it to mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ. For Israel, the exile and the dispersion, dispersion occurred because of their sinful rebellion against God. But there's nothing like that in Peter's mind here. No, he understands that this is just part of what it means. This is part of the definition of what it means to be a Christian. I guess it's a longhand way of saying to the Christians who are in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia. He calls them exiles of the dispersion. You are an exile who has been dispersed. I guess Peter's point there is to say, you are not at home here. That's who he's writing to, people who are not at home here. And that's so important for these Christians to be clear on because it would be very, very easy for these believers to reflect on the turmoil that life was often in, some of those examples we gave at the start, or just even to think about the, the low-level, never-ending uncomfortableness that they felt trying to live for Jesus in a world that had no time for Jesus and really no time for them either. They could easily think, couldn't they, that they must be doing it wrong. Surely, if we're following Jesus closely, that will mean that life is easier, isn't it? And to write into that situation, Peter writes this letter, and I wonder what they might have expected would be in that letter. Here they are with all of the trials of life and maybe wondering, am I doing this wrong? Maybe they expect that they just go on to the post office's horizon helpline and just be told, no, no, you're the only one. You're the only one who's having problems. Not at all. Peter writes this letter and he says, this is what it means to be a Christian. You're exiles of the dispersion. You're not at home here. And I think we can find this very hard. Because even still in our country today, there are faint legacies of a strong 
cultural Christianity. Look at last year's coronation. There it was on display, wasn't it, that we have a strong culture of Christianity. We still have bishops sitting in Parliament. Think of the oath that you take if you ever have to give evidence in court. There are these faint clues that we have this Christian culture, or had it at least. But we mustn't allow those traditions to obscure our understanding of the reality. We live in a world that by and large rejects Jesus Christ, and as His followers, we must come to terms with that. We are exiles here. We are not at home here. Some of us may be able to hearken back to a day when the church and even Christians were respected and seen as valuable, but friends, it has become the case that any church that unashamedly stands on the Word of God will find that it is short of friends in this world. In chapter 4, verse 12 of this letter, Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. In chapter 5, verse 12, speaking of the attacks that the devil unleashes on Jesus' followers, he says, um, uh, chapter uh, where he speaks about the devil attacking them, he says, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. As far as the history of Christianity is concerned, the prolonged period of privilege that the Christian church has known in our land is unusual, not the norm. And the fact that we have seen the removal of that privilege especially in secular Scotland today, is far more in keeping with what Christians throughout the last 2,000 years have experienced. And so, if you follow Jesus, you should expect to be an outsider in this world. You're an exile here. And some of you feel that, don't you? Some of you already know that. You raised an objection to teaching transgender ideology at your kid's school, and now you've been labeled a bigot. You tried to invite a work colleague to church. They didn't come, and ever since, there's been those little jibes about your Sunday habits and your obsession with the Bible. Some of your classmates found out you go to church and now you get called some names too. You didn't get invited to that party that the rest of your workmates went to. They probably thought they would have more fun without you there. We could go on, right? Welcome to life as an exile. Now, what a miserable sales pitch this is. You notice that I missed one of the key words. Christians are not just exiles. 
Peter says in verse 1, they are elect exiles. Elect exiles. That word elect just means chosen. He says you might be rejected by the world, but you are chosen by God. And that aspect of what it means to be a Christian is what he draws out in verse 2. We've um, just come through the the annual round of, of the New Year's honors list. And any time these are, when these are published, it is almost always the celebrities that get the headlines, isn't it? Um, to be honest, there is probably a lot more satisfaction in taking notice of the unknown people who get honors. This year, there was a nine-year-old boy was awarded the British Empire Medal, a young lad by the name of Tony Hudgel. Go and look at his story. And if you think about the process that goes into this, it can begin by members of the public recognizing what someone has done and putting in a a recommendation to the government that this is someone who is worthy of this honor. This could then turn into a recommendation that comes before the the cabinet or before the prime minister even, and they make that recommendation. It then goes before the cabinet office, who have to confirm that this is okay, and ultimately it comes to the king, who is the one who gives you the honor. It's a big deal, isn't it? I mean, when you think about all that's involved in giving you this honor, you have been spoken about in high places multiple times before you've received this thing. Well, Peter says to these Christians, you know what it is to live the exile's life. You know that. You need to understand who it is that has chosen you. This wonderful privilege of becoming and being a follower of Jesus, you must appreciate who was involved in bringing that gift to you. And he shows us that God, God in all of his fullness was involved, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in order to give you salvation. You are exiles, he says, but you have been spoken about in the highest of places. More than that, you belong to the triune God. So he says, you're elect or chosen exiles, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Chosen according to God the Father's foreknowledge. You know, the way the Bible uses that word foreknowledge is not merely to speak about knowing that something is going to happen. It's something deeper and more involved than that. For example, sometimes the word to know is used in the Bible to describe the most intimate kind of love. So, when it says, Adam knew his wife and she bore a son, it's speaking of the most intimate relationship possible. And here we're told that more than knowing about you in advance, more even than just choosing you in advance, God the Father loved you 
deeply, even before you were born. That's what he says to Christians. God the Father loved you deeply, even before you knew it. Because you're chosen exiles, according to his foreknowledge. But not just, the, not just the work of the Father here, chosen exiles in the sanctification of the Spirit. Um, sanctification is one of those uh, Christian words. It really does just mean set apart. What is it? What, what was it that was to be done in order to take me from here to there, from my old life to my new life in Christ, something or someone must have set me apart from there. And that's what he says the Holy Spirit did. He set you apart. So we see chosen exiles, loved by the Father even before we knew it, set apart by the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. And here, we get to the nub of the matter, really. This response that it produces in us to the Son of God. Jesus Christ appears in the Gospels, and he's proclaiming a simple message, really. He says, repent and believe in the Gospel. Believe in the good news. And the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Savior of mankind, who has come into the world to save sinners like you and me. It is the good news that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus, the Savior, has come to give Himself so that you might be the people of God. Recently, we've been preaching through the book of Exodus, and there's one more episode from Israel's history that Peter is touching on here. You would find it in Exodus 24. In that part of the Bible, God has made a covenant with His people. He's made a solemn promise, a promise to be their God, to provide everything that they could ever need if they would but trust Him. And the covenant was sealed by all the people saying, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And then to seal the covenant, I mean, imagine this scene. Moses picks up a basin filled with blood from an ox that has been sacrificed. And you know what he does with the blood? He throws it on the people, sprinkles it all over them. Here is this sign that sealed with blood, this promise comes to the people, and their response is sealed in blood as well. What a moment of drama. But you see, what was being pictured here is that with this sprinkling of blood, these people really were now God's precious people. The promise was sealed. And so you see why in verse 2 now, don't you, that Peter says, you are chosen exiles according to the foreknowledge of God in the setting apart of the Spirit 
for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. That's the picture he has in mind. Here's a reminder that they only have this privileged status with God because they have a crucified Savior whose blood was shed. So that when one comes in obedience to Jesus, when one comes turning from sin, believing in Him, they are, as it were, sprinkled with the precious blood of Jesus, sealed into this new people of God. All of this Old Testament language that plums into the depths of God's relationship with His people Israel Peter uses it all here, squeezes all of this into these opening words of his letter. And you know what's a most wonderful thing about that? Is that this letter was not written to a Jewish audience. Like this wasn't written to a group of people who could say, oh yes, yes, I remember hearing this in the synagogue as I grew up. These were people who knew nothing of it. Outsiders. A group of folks who, who had none of this background at all, not Israelites. And what a powerful message this is. He says, you guys who knew none of this background, you exiles suffering and rejected in this world, you are the true people of God. These things are yours. And this full weight of this comes to us today as well, right? The letter is nearly 2,000 years old. The events that he's alluding to here are another 1,500 years before that. And yet they come to us today. And they say to us, God is still drawing people into his true people of God. And he's doing that through his son, Jesus Christ, who has shed his blood so that all who believe, trusting in him, will be his. I mean, what is it that you think makes you makes your way into the approved group before God. So naturally, we think of all the things we can do, the good things we can do. But here, actually, in describing what it means to be a Christian and, and how that has come about for these elect exiles, we see that it is the work of God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son, and it's what He produces in us. It is the story of what Jesus has provided that comes to us and demands that we obey it by simply believing. 
One of the beautiful seams that runs through this letter is the number of times that Peter tells Christians that their situation is one that they share in common, not just with other Christians, but actually with Jesus himself. He's able to say to them here that they're uh, exiles rejected by the world, but chosen by God. Well, over in chapter 2, verse 4, as you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Actually, the foundation that's being laid here is one that says, you are one with Jesus. Look to Him in all of the difficulties of your experience as an exile. Look to Him who was an exile, and yet who knew what it was to be chosen and precious in the sight of God. It's a beautiful message of oneness with Jesus. So, friends, the, the, the point that Peter wants to get across to us here is, is that this, this exile, this dispersion is a very real thing. It's not deniable. It's, it's, it's not something we should pretend doesn't exist. It is painful. It's difficult. And you will find as you read through this letter that we will, we will read of Stephen and Iris and Alexander's stories. But what is it that will keep them going? It's understanding this what it means to be chosen by God. It is the greatest privilege on earth. It's as if to say, you might be pilgrims walking through this world, and it might look to all the world that you're, you're, you're homeless. But actually, walking among us, these elect exiles are the most privileged of all, because they're heading somewhere. Oh, you're not home now, but you're heading home. And God will bring us home because that's where his son is, our savior, preparing a place for him to call us home to. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for these, these words. Lord, we recognize there is a, a, a depth to what Peter writes here and we pray that you would help us to grasp how that comes to us. Or to understand that for our salvation, the entire, the entirety of what you are was at work to bring that about. Father, we thank you for your love. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your setting us apart. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your, for your precious blood that was shed on the cross. And we thank you for the privilege of knowing that we are, we are the people of God. And we pray, Father, for each one who is Lord, just feeling the, the pain of what it means to be an exile for Christ. Lord, we pray that the magnificence of what it means to belong to Jesus would be the thing that shines brightest. And that sense of, of the great privilege that is ours would sustain us. 
And now may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.